UX Podcast Episode 141. Hi, and welcome to UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. And this week, for you, dear listener, we have a link show. Link show, which we haven't done in a fair while, I think. And normally I'd be the one that throws back at you know, and says, well, we did it in episode blah, 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 and I haven't actually I checked. was expecting you actually say, I'm, I'm betting it's about almost six months since we last did it. Let's, let's say it was. It was yeah. before the summer. Yeah. And how our link shows work when we do do them is that we, we take three articles that we found and um, discuss them a little bit on the podcast. Um, and the three articles we have for you today are? First one is, is, is web design dead in 2016? Yeah, and that's by Marcus Bransbury, yeah. who is underscore mm. Bransbury, B-R-A-N-S-B-U-R-Y on Twitter. Nice. Uh, second one is usability testing of inline form validation. 40% don't have it, 20% get it wrong. Big title, long title. Mm-hmm. That is an article by Christian Holst, who is Kein Holst, K-I-E-H-N-H-O-L-S-T on Twitter. <laughs> And finally, uh, we'll be ending off with Chatbots, your ultimate prototyping tool. And that's by two people, David Boardman and Sarah Koo. And David Boardman is D. Boardman on Twitter. And Sarah Koo is oh, S-E-R-A-K-O-O on Twitter. So first up is, um, is web design dead in 2016? This is quite what's quite I like quite like about this article straight away um, is that Marcus uh, Bransbury who wrote it. Uh, Marcus has wrote a TLDR at the beginning. Yeah, <clears throat> I like that. And too too lazy didn't read, so I'm going to read you the TLDR. Now that um, was too long didn't read. <laughs> oh, too long. Oh, I thought it was too lazy. Which one is it? Oh, it doesn't well, they matter. Both work. They both work. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Web design is moving beyond creating professional aesthetics and bra- with branding, imagery, colors, and fonts. Increasingly, the focus of web designers has moved to UX, creating interactive, fast, and engaging interactive experiences, products, and services. Like everything on the web, it's evolving. That's his, uh, Marcus's um, summary of his article. Um, now, I've picked this one, and um, this actually. This this came up as a as a bit of a topic hot topic um, just over a year ago. Um, UX Mag did an article with, uh, in fact, uh, Marcus links to it. Um, mm. That they did an article with the same a similar kind of title, and it, it spawned um, uh, you know response articles, kind of you know counter articles, and all this you know a bit of a discussion about whether it was dead. And f- for me. And and uh, oh, and there's part of what Marcus says in it that it's down to the def- definition of what you mean by web design. Yeah, you need to define web design. You need to define dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, <laughs> how dead is dead? No, but this is exactly it. And I, I think it's um, uh, one thing that was really interesting for me is to look at this um, is to, to see how um, this is viewed from another perspective. Um, Marcus himself is a front-end developer. 
so so in this article we get to to see his view on not only i think how he sees web design but also how he see how he looks upon ux exactly um and how you know and and what the definition of dead becomes from his viewpoint of those two um mm-hmm. um you know phrases or definitions or titles or or subject areas whatever you want to you, you want to call them um and i mean me and you i think we're going to disagree with the with the title. I mean, I, I'm pretty certain of that. I mean, web design is web design dead? Well, no, not not really. It's just and, and can it ever be? As long as there's a web, there's web design. I mean, it, you, it, it can't die. It's it's a misnomer because I mean, design just means problem solving, and the way you solve problems on the web perhaps is evolving and changing. And the way I look at it, when you've worked in an industry for 15 years, you're bound to see that it's changing. Yeah. But what what Marx is saying um, is he's he's using web design to mean um, uh, well visual design, um, yeah. art direction, and kind of the the the. the oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna get in trouble now by saying then of like just the, the you know the colors and the and the and the rounded edges. Well, the thing <laughs> is, he starts off this article about about his reference to the old days, and he says websites used to suck, really suck, and he has an example of an Ollie Web website there. Uh, websites in the 90s. And I'm, I'm not sure I even agree with that comment that websites used to suck. No. Websites have always been awesome because they're websites and they are global and you can do stuff with them and you can mm-hmm. interact with them. Mm-hmm. And just I- reaching all those people, it's, it's just awesome. That's, mm-hmm. And that, for me, is what UX is about and not about the visual design. Mm. Uh, we've, uh, websites still suck, and they have always exactly. sucked to a degree. <laughs> well. And, and just how they suck has matured with the years. And, and our, our ways of solving them um, is sometimes smart, sometimes good, but sometimes uh, absolutely appalling. Mm. But um, what Marcus is saying is that, well, we've, the reason why it could potentially be dead is that we've, we've now got so many um, frameworks and and kind of like you know established patterns um you know like we're we're using we're using bootstrap which is a which is a um a, a programming framework but also has um an implied or an inbuilt design um framework as part of it you can recognize yeah. bootstrap site yeah um, if you work with bootstrap you you know what w- websites you do use that as well yeah, foundation foundation too probably and then, and then material design that's not a programming framework but it is a design framework it's a way of thinking um it's a way of, way of well we've covered it in the previous episode it's a, it's a whole way of thinking about how you interact with a product not just the visual side of it um yeah. so 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 yeah you can you can i can understand completely where this comes from in that we have got um the 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 beginnings of um standards mm. but um but we haven't really fully got standards um i was i was chatting to um, Lisa Welshman, um, who is the the governance, the queen of governance, web governance, and, and she was talk- saying that um, in any, um, well, any ma- any industry, mature industry with sc- a scale has to adopt standards. Mm. And I was reflecting on that when when thinking about this article. That um, yeah, we're we're maturing, and we're scaling effectively. I mean, the web's bigger than it's ever been. It's it's constantly getting bigger. More and more people are getting online every single week, and. And we are we're kind of trying really hard to establish standards through things like you know um, frameworks um, and pattern libraries and so on, and and stand and conventions, UI you know, UI um, interaction patterns and so mm. on. But we're not 
we've not really got to that stage of maturity where we're we're formalizing standards. Right. So, um, yes, some organizations maybe will be standardizing internally by having a really good pattern library that they're maintaining and using or adopting frameworks that have become standard. So so within certain um, organi- areas or limits, standards are maybe becoming quite established. But as a on a larger scale, when you look at the industry on a, on a global level, um, we've made progress in, in with huge progress in standards when it comes to the, the languages we're using, HTML or CSS and so on. We've got huge progress when it comes to accessibility standards. Mm. You know, with the IRA and the, with the you know the the AAA ratings and criteria and so on. There's a lot of a lot of great progress there, but when it comes to the patterns and the and the and the user experience, we're lacking there, aren't we? But the, could you even have a standard for user experience? Because there, I mean, there are implied standards, and the, and he, he touches upon them in the article as well. And I don't, I don't even know if he's being ironic here or not. He, he, he references two layout, layout patterns that are tweeted by, by uh, John Gold. Uh, which, um, which of the two possible websites are you currently defining? Yeah. Uh, and uh, only last week, I actually, I, I was giving a talk, and I, I always have one of these slides where it's, it's basically, if you search for WordPress themes, mm. you have the same layout always. That mm. big image at the top, you have three columns, and then... Uh, uh, three columns representing the three services maybe that you offer, and then there's a form at the bottom, and maybe three columns at the bottom as well. And you can you can you can really see these WordPress themes that they borrow from each other. Mm. They're not designed to solve a problem; they're designed to look good. And that's my beef with this article: uh, is that it's too focused on design uh, and that visual design aspect of UX, and not about the content of UX, because what we're talking about here is, do we need to find standards that can be applicable to all types of content? Because the argument I always make is we have to start with the content, and what we're doing all, always doing wrong is that we're trying to design websites, and we design websites without even putting any content in there. Uh, like the example he asked here, the, the, the content is it's just straight lines, and sometimes it's lorem ipsum. Mm. But we don't even know yet what's supposed to fit into that design. No, but this is the thing about um, I to answer your question that you had about can we have standards for for UX? I mean, mm. okay, now we're into the like, do I mean UX or do we mean um, UI and, yes. and so on? But aside from that argument, mm. um, I think yes, you can have standards for absolutely everything. Um, but having standards doesn't um, exclude the need for research or for testing. And what you've just highlighted there with the kind of which of these two possible websites are you designing and the, the, the standard templates mm. is that we are using a lot of these patterns and a lot of these design templates as proxies for research and proxies for um, testing. We're saying, you know, we'll run with that because everyone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. And no, that's not how you implement standards. You still need to have the kind of the wherewithal that still need to have that kind of like due diligence to check and to re- research that what you're doing is right, like you said, designing the content to go in it, to test it with some users, see whether it actually does do the job that you know that you need to do with it exactly. instead of just winging it. Yes. So, so don't worry, everyone. <laughs> we're, we're not going to lose our jobs. We are, we are going to be needed for a long, long time to come. Article number two, usability testing of inline form validation. 40% don't have it, 20% get it wrong. Mm-hmm. This is um, an article um, on baymard.com. 
by Christian Holst. Actually, to be honest, I I chose this almost entirely from the 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 title, <laughs> um, <laughs> which sounds very shallow. But but no, the I mean the the article itself has some 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 really because the the website is the articles the UX research articles on on Baymard Institute, they they're they're quite in depth. They're research into things. And they're they're good reads, yeah. and this one has some they're based some on data, great examples. Fantastic, yep, <laughs> research. Yeah, they're based on real research and data. So there's some really good examples, and it's it's quite um, there's a nice um, educational uh, way of ex- scientific and also educational way of describing some of the problems and the ways that you can maybe counter them mm. and, and and issues to do you know surrounding it. Um, but they following on from the chat we've just had about is web design dead. <clears throat> Because of all you know, all these standards we've got now, so we don't need to do anything new because we can just pull a, a WordPress template off the shelf and you know, bang, job yeah. done. Whereas here, we've been we've been discussing forms for for now we're, we're getting close to decades, aren't we? I mean, it's it's an issue that we've always had about how we best to do forms. There is a huge amount of research available on this, a huge amount of recommendations on it, and arguably it's this. It's clo- it's one of those areas where we're close to having standards. Yes, I agree with that. It's just, just not formalized, um, unless you count Luke's um, Luke's book about forms mm. as the standard, mm. uh, which I think a lot of us do. Um, here, though, forty percent don't f- effectively follow the standards because mm-hmm. inline form validation. Me and you will agree that that's a standard. Yeah. So. Only 60% do it, 40% don't. But then we've got the rest of this title, the article. Of the, of the 60% that actually do do inline form validation, 20% make it, mess mm-hmm. it up. So, And I think this data uh, is based, when he says 20%, I think they looked at um, around 50 different uh, websites. Uh, was it e-commerce websites or financial, financial websites of some sort? Uh, so they have a, quite a large uh, uh, sample uh, when they when they have mm. these quotes about how how many do it wrong, it is so easy to do wrong as well. And and as, as, you know, we need to be the these kind of like UX marshals or UX mm. shepherds. We need to be, even if you're not designing these from scratch because you don't need to because so many mm. standards, then you you need to make sure that uh, it actually gets done mm. the right way in the end. Yeah, and some of the stuff it doesn't um. actually bring up that I was thinking when I was reading it is that sometimes you don't need validation because you need to accept the data that the user inputs whichever way you want to write it. In Sweden, we have our yeah. social security number or the, the counterpart to the social security number, and it has to be entered in many forms in a specific way. But if the computer on the back-end side instead could actually interpret the, the date uh, for us instead of having us enter it in a special way, then that would be better, and we wouldn't have to have validation of that. Uh, so sometimes you could actually remove a lot of the validation that you want to have as well. But the, what, yeah. what made me think in this article as well was so so many get it wrong, but if you're not going to do inline validation well, maybe you may as well not do it. <laughs> would, it, would, it yeah. would it perhaps have been better not to do it in the first place? Oh, you see, you see now mm-hmm. there you're making a presumption. Because like in, my, in my experience, um, there's a lot of occasions where the form validation hasn't been designed. Ah, what happens is yes. it gets mm. implemented by front end and perhaps by one of these frameworks that we talked about in the past article. Yeah, it could yeah. even by by framework, or yeah. it, it's um, or it could by someone with a lot mm. of you know someone who thinks they're doing a really good job as mm. a as a front end developer and have implemented some validation that they feel is sensible mm. and logical, mm. but 
it's not been part of the original thinking and design yeah. and, and research. You know, what, what is helpful at this point in a user's journey and given their, given their mental model, given their context, given all the things that we, we would think about that maybe gets missed when you, you, when you just, just, I say, now I'm, I hope I'm not sounding patronizing, but when you're just coding, um, some of these things miss. And then I think the phone number, well, uh, personal numbers or social security numbers or even phone numbers is one of those examples. Mm. Or I think in the article it has um, a phone number, of an example of, of validation where it's saying, I think the example is where it's, um, it's, it's with that wonderful phrase, what is it? Um, um, premature inline yes. validation. I, I, I mean, that's got to be better. That's got to be medical <laughs> but but anyway that you, you know don't don't complain that the phone number's not been filled in as soon as somebody gives focus to the mm. field phone number field but then the the kind of other example there um includes validation after the number's been entered which complains that it's in the wrong format but actually it, the example it's not the wrong format it's just that it's plus one so it's international format it's been entered in ah, but they don't want yes. it in international mm. so when i read that i thought oh yeah i, I get it as an example for that mm. thing but you've introduced an error uh, you've introduced a kind of a solution okay, yeah, that so exactly. isn't really a full a good example of what i was it's, getting at yeah and we, we see this all the time with i mean postcodes in the uk and postcodes mm. in sweden both naturally include a space yeah. but yet time and time again you kind of come up against websites that complain when you put the mm. space in or demand you put the space in and this is really interesting because to me it seems and to come down to we're not testing enough, uh, like you were saying. We're not designing enough. We're not designing uh, enough. Yeah, we're not designing enough, absolutely. But I also believe that we, people do design sketches for these things. And when they do, it's implemented, but it's never tested. Because oh, I think yeah, exactly this yeah. that happens, if you start typing and it gives you an error because you haven't finished typing your email address, but it says, that's not the correct email address. Mm-hmm. I know, give me a second to actually write the whole thing. Because somebody wrote, did a Photoshop sketch, and they had that yeah. confirmation button. And sure, it's implemented, but it's not tested. And it is so, yeah, not tested. You're right, and it's it's so easy to miss some of these things. Like, I mean, I I have the benefit of um, a double-barreled surname, mm-hmm. so I have um, I have Jim, um, Royal Hyphen Lawson. So I, I I get to test websites all the time by um, typing my name, and um, it's saying, uh oh. You can't put a hyphen in your name. Oh, really? So then, I, yeah, I, I get that. I still that. get that a fair bit. No, they still get a fair bit. Um, I, I can normally get a mm. feel of the website before I t- start typing. You can tell by the look of it whether you're going to have problems or not. <laughs> well, that's interesting in itself. <laughs> I, I think so. What errors yeah, are we going to see on this website based on the yeah. visual design of it? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, <laughs> but no, but then you get complained that no, sorry, that's an illegal character, and you'll mm. get some really weird error mm. message sometimes. Oh, no, we don't have time to get into that. But then, the whole designing of how you phrase things. I think didn't you? I just mm. said I won't get into this, mm. and I am doing. Yeah, I think you posted something about um, there was a screenshot I saw from you the other week where the, you had got some weird error. It was like error code four eight C or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't remember what that was actually. I think. It, your your car share your carpool. Oh yeah, it was in thing. the app actually. When I was opening the app, mm. I got these weird mm. error messages uh, uh, from Soap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a proper mm. backend yes. database or connection related errors that would just been spat it, out. It to should the user have never reached the user interface. No. Yeah. Mm. Now, now we're wandering off from form yeah. validation and coming into to error messages, but they're mm. related because mm. these these mm. are error messages, mm. just that we're calling mm. them validation because they're happening in line mm. before you get the exactly. error. 
we're stopping something from being another right. point i really like about the article i just want to uh, uh, read that out positive inline validation tell people when they're doing good i think that's really important as well just remember don't pe- tell people when they're doing wrong tell them when they're doing it good as well that green tick is lovely okay third article one of mine uh, chatbots your ultimate prototyping tool uh, this one's on the Ideo Stories channel on uh, Medium. And uh, there are actually two things wrong with this title. <laughs> well, it's by, well, it's by David, oh, David Boardman. Boardman and Sarah Koo. Thank you. There are two things wrong with the title. It's not really chatbots. <laughs> it's not really prototyping. It's more conversation uh, in that sense, in the research. So the article gives examples of three uh, research studies that they've done. It's really all about using the idea and concept of uh, bots simulated via text messaging uh, to carry out a conversation with users to learn about their needs and, and how they react and respond to content and feedback that you're giving them. Uh, and, and the example they, they start out with is actually a bot that they use for people who are women, it's directed at women, uh, who are exercising uh, with the insight that most of these, when they were doing the study, that most of these health, uh, fitness uh, apps... That existed at the time. Yeah, yeah were directed at men. And after doing some research, they realized that the things they were coming up with were just too bulky. So they came up with this research methodology where they were actually do, using text messaging as a chatbot for these women. And they were, actually had researchers tagging along with the women as they were exercising and giving them feedback through this interface, through, through text messaging, so, basically. So they were covertly, so they were going along with someone while they were training, yes. covertly sending them SMSs. Saying, And then the person was reading the, yeah. yeah, so pretending to be a bot, hmm. and the person then was giving them direct feedback, because they stood by the side of them, yes. about this bot, not knowing that the researcher was the bot. Exactly. That sounded complicated, but I think I get it. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's all about trying to understand better what the nuances of, of the, what the participants needed. And what was really interesting is that this was all conversational. They learn a lot by understanding uh, or, or getting the feedback from the users because they were giving these uh, bots a personality. And of course, again, they're not really bots. They're actually humans behind the bots. And the, mm. the, the researchers weren't, weren't even intending to give them a personality. But one of the one favorite... Uh, Quotes, there's, there was something around, oh, no, I know this is a man. And how do you know that? Uh, oh, yeah. Because I'm getting mad at it right now <laughs> because it was giving some feedback to it. Uh, yeah. And it, really, it was the woman <laughs> walking next to her who, who was texting live at the time. I really, for, for me, as a researcher, or when I do research, uh, the epiphany during when I read this article actually was, Wow, I can reach so many people. I can change the way I talk to people during my research. Uh, and I can, they can actually feel more confident giving me information. Uh, in, some, in some cases in the article, the information you give is given an- anonymously. So they get more information from, this, from the users that they did not get in the interviews that they did pre-chatbot pre- pre- study mm-hmm. time, which was really don't, interesting don't as well. Don't you open yourself up to a lot of problems here, though? I mean, you're, if, you're, if you're changing your interview style mm. on the fly during the interview, then, then that's not interviewing. That's not researching. That's interviewing and getting a good research um, And then you know, it's more like prototyping, that. It's, right? yeah. It is more. So then that yeah. ties in more to what they're saying yeah. about prototyping because you're, you're adapting the product 
um, on the fly. So, so in that sense, it's getting further away from, but, from, uh, direct, but, but, from interviewing. But to be clear, research. you're not changing the way you talk to the same person. You're changing the way you talk to different people. So you're seeing... Well, how do you know that? You, don't, you might be. Uh, if they're anonymous, yes, you're right. Yeah, and also mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if you're if you're working with people mm-hmm. in the room, kind of on the fly mm-hmm. and reacting to it, I mean, you, it's another mm-hmm. challenge mm-hmm. to make sure you're maintaining the same personality for that for that person. Specific person, person yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I I love I love this um, idea of um, of quickly being able to 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 test something out in the form of a conversation. So you've got a hypothesis about what product might, how it might be, how it might be useful, and you can deliver it. I mean, it's, it's back to the old Zappos thing, isn't it? Um, where they were they were shipping um, shoes off to people. They were getting people to run out and buy the shoes and then shipping yes. them. So they didn't <laughs> actually have any warehouse receipts. So it's kind of like, it's a similar kind yeah. of thing that you're, f- you're faking it behind yeah. the scenes. Um, and that's a really, really interesting um, concept. Um, so it's, but it's I, like um, an MVP for a chatbot, really. Yeah. It's humans. Uh, it's a Wizard of Oz thing. But I've got, uh, when I was reading through it, I'm, I, I reacted... I reacted Partly to the way that they hung themselves up on SMS, so text messaging, um, and and it also said it's it's going through a renaissance, which I, I disagree with this completely. It's falling like a stone in every country where it's 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 in <laughs> use, um, and and um, we're seeing a diversification of of chat platforms with with things like Snapchat, um, WhatsApp, Facebook, Telegram, all these different ones, and then all the whole the different ones in in Asia. Um, but either way, bots could be a really useful um, research tool. Uh, and I, I love that um, idea. But another thing that struck me was um, the challenge when it comes to um, sampling. That if you if you're using it for for prototyping or research, then you'd ideally be very careful about, or you'd be very no knowledgeable about who you'd um, sampled, who you'd included in your research. Um, you might want a particular age group, a particular um, you know set of interests, and so on. And one of the examples they gave was um, about the, the the virus, the mosquito, the Zika virus, virus in Puerto Rico. Zika, yeah. yeah, that they they handed out um, um, they handed out leaflets in a shopping mall in a shopping centre, um, giving the the text number that you would interact with. So so there you've got okay, the, there might be a degree of selection going on in that they could decide oh I need to hand those leaflets out to pregnant women that they see in the mall, mm-hmm. um, or it could be that they. Well, even if they do that, you've then got the selection, self-selection problem that if you hand out 100 leaflets in the shopping centre mm. to people that you think you'd like to include because of how they look um, in your survey or in your research, you can't guarantee which one of them is actually going to bother sending a text message. Your conversion oh, yeah, you rate no is going to be it's going to be quite low, your mm. conversion rate, I guess, from that kind of thing. Um, so, so then you've got to have a, a certain amount of onboarding at the start of the chat to work out who they are to know to, to profile them. Mm. So I can I can see challenges. Case, I actually don't. I, I didn't get the impression they did profile them. Actually, they were just trying to see what types of questions were they getting, uh, and what yeah. how did they need to respond? How was their tone of voice? Did that play in? Was it important? Mm. Were, were they had, did they have to be more formal? But they also mm. learned things like they, that, the, the, the the fact that they actually asked more personal and revealing questions than they uh, asked during the interviews. Like mm. people crave to understand why the virus was there in Puerto Rico and not anywhere else in the world, uh, and those types of questions they weren't comfortable asking. In so they were learning probably more about v- research techniques than about the actual the actual uh, 
product that, that yeah, they were I've, building or service that they were building, yeah. Of, of course, yeah. and that's actually, but that that's partly a fault of the article yeah. in that it's it's written as um, a lesson in research techniques. Exactly. So of course they're going to talk about those experiences. Mm. But but that's 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 my reflection mm. take on this is that I think it's a really exciting um, tool that we can make use of during prototyping and research. Mm. But I want to flag a bit of cautiousness here that I can see that the, we've got selection issues or there's going to be challenges when it comes to selection challenges from an interviewing point of view um and also um decisions that go according to you know what platform would be best to pro to, to to choose for um um for testing or for interviewing or for prototyping is it sms or is it something else what will give us the where where will the where will the people we want to mm. talk to feel most comfortable engaging in this um experiment Oh yeah, that's very relevant. I was reading this more, I think, as SMS being the minimum viable product. Uh, you can get mm. started with it straight away. You can get feedback from users, how they uh, respond to whatever you're typing that to them, how they what they respond back. Uh, that would be the first step. And then you would think about, okay, so what forum or what platform would it be the best to talk to this target group? Mm. Because what's interesting as well, you were saying, we don't even know the target group when you're handing out leaflets in a mall. No. <laughs> Yeah, and I think mm. it's yeah. It could be a, this is effectively some kind of MVP mm. to get some answers. But mm. um, yes, you can get some answers, but they're not always the right answers. As in, you know, you might be putting yourself in a situation where it's not really your question that's getting answered. Mm. I completely so, agree with that. And you always have. I mean, that's that goes for all research. Whatever research you do, there's always going to be fallacies, mm. and you have to be yeah. aware of those when you're drawing your conclusions in the end. Yeah. But a lot to like about this, and um, I, I have no idea if I'll get the chance to do this kind of bot oh, research. Oh, I, I really want to. I want to yeah, I, look into I, what I'd I can do. I'd love that, but we... Um, and we were talking yeah. earlier, I'm thinking um, perhaps Facebook chat, uh, you can get going with that pretty fast now. That probably would be a, a one way to get into this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Or SMS too, but um, <laughs> especially, if you've, especially if you've got a way of... Um, if you've got access to people's numbers already and maybe could start the process, um, recruit people mm. in a simpler way mm. or a more reliable way, then I think it definitely, yeah. Go read the article. Let us know what you think. The links to these articles can, of course, be found in our show notes on uxpodcast.com. We have also started publishing blog posts written by listeners. So if you'd like to be a guest blogger for us and write a piece about an episode of UX Podcast, then get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Our contact details are on our website. Thanks for listening. Remember to keep moving. And see you on the other side.